when you talk to someone as if they are an athlete and they, this is our goal and this is where we're going, they act like an athlete. They have more self-discipline. They have more motivation because they believe that they are moving forward and going somewhere. And, you know, there's just so many lessons that I've learned and, and that are all sort of chronicled in the book um, that really show the power of of being relentless, of going all in on something, despite all the naysayers, despite all the people telling you that it's absolutely impossible. I just ignored every one of those and just kept going in blind faith. Blind faith is sometimes what we all need. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Oh my gosh, are you in for a treat this week with the amazing Lisa Tamati. I am so excited to bring this extraordinary soul to you. Lisa is a professional ultra-endurance athlete. She has had over 25 years' experience running in the toughest endurance events around the world, which is why I probably felt so akin and so excited to actually have someone like this on the show. But you know what? In spite of all of her accomplishments and things that she's achieved as an athlete, this beautiful soul has also struggled with her own self-esteem body image, weight problems, a belief that she had a lack of talent, depression, fear, and anxiety, which unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, has forced this amazing soul to learn how to achieve the unattainable. This woman shares in this podcast her latest book called Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds. I cannot wait for you to listen to this. It is extraordinary how she brought her beautiful mum back from the brink of literally a diagnosis of no hope. But what she noticed through fighting for her mother's life and her ability to recover from this aneurysm and a stroke was the relentless story of despair, hope, love, and the incredible insights that she and her mum found in the darkest of moments. I love Lisa Tamati. I have always wanted to meet her. I have followed her, stalked her for years, mainly because of her incredible feats as an athlete but now as a dear friend. I'm so proud of her undeniable intelligence and her unshakable desire to find the truth, particularly in a subject now that she delves deeper and deeper into around epigenetics and our own individual gene expressions. I promise you, you're going to love this podcast. I am so excited and cannot wait to hear your feedback on my Kim Morrison Training Facebook page or my Instagram Kim Morrison 28 page. Please leave a comment and your feedback there. And honestly and wholeheartedly and truly, every time you give the show a five-star rating, it stays in the search engines and makes it easy for someone else to find. The Self Love Podcast, I believe, is transformational. It's a place where I get to share phenomenal souls like Lisa Tamati and all the other phenomenal guests that I've had already on the show and I'm yet to share with you. So I cannot begin to tell you how much it means to me when you come up to me live and tell me you've heard a podcast or when you listen to someone like Lisa and go and follow her. After all, sharing of each other is what helps to plant seeds that may indeed help someone you love grow in ways that you never, ever imagined. Welcome to the amazing Lisa Tamati. Well, it gives me great pleasure to invite and have you on the show, beautiful Lisa Tamati. You are somebody who I definitely look up to. You're a hero in my eyes. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of all of these listeners uh, for you for joining me here today. Oh, Kim, it's wonderful to, to be a, a dear friend of yours and to come on your cool show. I'm just so honoured. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, sweetie. You know, fellow Kiwi, there's always a connection anyway. But I want to ask you first up, let's get straight into it. What do the words self-love mean to you? Ah, self-love. Self-love is for me is about respecting yourself 
Um, and it's something I've really, really struggled with come over, you know, my lifetime over, especially as I was a young lady, definitely didn't have enough of self-love. Um, and it's, it's a concept that I think a lot of us struggle with. Um, it, it's, it's respecting yourself and giving yourself uh, the, the time to, to be yourself and to, to actually pay yourself back, you know, for all good things you do. And we're often so hard on ourselves. I think as women, we especially seem, seem to um, be really tough on ourselves and we're never quite good enough and we're meant to be good at multitasking and everything. So, yeah, self-love for me is really self-respect. I think would be a good way of summing it, summing it up. It is an interesting word, self-respect, and I would love for you to explain what that means because I don't know about you, when I'm in uh, workshops or I have live audiences and I say to my audience, what exactly does self-respect look like or feel like or seem like to you? And do you know what? Every time the audience goes quiet, Unless I'm speaking to a young audience, they can jump in and give me their meaning. What exactly does it mean to you? Someone, what does someone look like that has self-respect in your opinion? I think for, for me, um, self-respect is all about not um, being true to yourself and being really authentically you, not having to be someone that you're not not having to live up to expectations. And I'm, and I'm saying this from a place of having done this very much wrong for a long period of time, Kim. Um, you know, not, not, uh, not living the life that you actually want to be living. And, and it also is about not letting other people disrespect you, which, um, you know, uh, in my early years and my young adult years I had a very abusive relationship that where I didn't respect myself and where I let somebody uh, treat me badly um, and that is definitely not respecting yourself so it's, it, it's setting limitations on on what you find is acceptable behavior to you um, and and make sure you are holding those up really nice and high and that you expect a certain um, standard of, of, of the way that you've been treated and just looking after yourself and not being always critical. I think, you know, like women, we, you know, especially like when we're, we're either young or we're getting older and we're aging and we're, we're, we're going through all these changes all the time and it's really hard sometimes to love yourself. Um, and you know, I, I often say to myself when I'm hopping in the shower in the morning and you know, you, you, you see yourself in the mirror as you go past and you, you've got some critical remark always comes up in your head, you know, and I'm like, nope, I'm going to respect myself. I'm beautiful. I'm amazing. Uh, I'm incredible. I'm worth so much. I'm, I'm value. I'm, I value myself. And I think that that's a beautiful place to get to. Um, and to keep yourself there is, is another thing. Yeah, and, you know, in New Zealand, we have that beautiful word mana, mm. um, which is such a powerful word, I feel, in this day and age. And when I wrote about it in my book, I really wanted to grasp that meaning from from a New Zealander and a Maori perspective. What is your thoughts on the word mana? Mana, to me, is... Oh, that, that conjures up, you know, images. So from my childhood, you know, because I'm I am part Maori. My father's Maori. Um, very much of of pride and respect and um, honour. Uh, all of those great concepts that I'm actually covered in goosebumps as you're saying <laughs> this. I have to say that to you. Well, you know, these these sort of things are really important. These are your values, the integrity that you have as a person. This is your your reputation, your credibility. All of those sort of concepts um, uh, are all rolled into that one word, mana, and and it's a very powerful word. And when when someone says to you, you know this man has mana or this woman has a lot of mana, you, that means that they are well respected. They are well cherished and they are valued for their opinions and their, their wisdom. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good way of summing, summing up the word mana, really. It's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a, a mixture of English words. It's not one single word. 
I know there is always such depth to those words like that. And I really, part of being a Kiwi is my deep reverence and respect for the culture that we hold in that country. And I feel very honoured and privileged to call myself a New Zealander for that. It's something that I think is lacking a little bit in Australia and they're getting better at honouring their Indigenous culture. And I say that with real respect as well to Australia but one thing that I've really come to notice, and I guess in many ways, is noticing and honouring the different um, cultures that we do uh, come from. So, for instance, mm-hmm. New Zealanders, I would say, have a very strong warrior concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a strong ability to fight for what we believe in and to, to really stand up for what we believe in, as opposed to the Aboriginal culture, which is a wandering culture. It's a beautiful honouring of the land and mm-hmm. listening to the land and and almost um, barefooting whispering as we kiss the land. They have a very strong uh, belief around honouring self, each other, and this vast land that we live on over here. What's your take on that as a New Zealand culture having that warrior-like stance? Yeah, I I mean, I definitely, I I probably can't speak for my whole culture, but I I do, you know, have a uh, I have a warrior gene, I should definitely. <laughs> oh, you sure do. <laughs> um, um, and, I, and I do think that that comes from actually both sides. And like my my mother is of Maori Irish, uh, sorry, uh, the German Irish. My dad's Maori. My, my mum is Irish and German. Um, and I think that you know that's a really warrior combination, really. <laughs> um, uh, so maybe I got a double dose of it. I think in in respect to yes, we we. Um, have been able to stand up for ourselves, not always, and we haven't, but we do. Uh, we, we come from a fighting ancestry. Yeah, I had a conversation with a, um, a cousin of mine, a, a man with great mana, um, Howie Tamati, who's a, a Kiwi League legend <laughs> back in the day. And, um, you know, we were talking about our, our feisty nature. <laughs> we were talking about some issues that we had and, and how we had to keep a, a hold on our, on our, on our amygdala and our um, anger at times, you know, because we definitely have that feisty um, side to our personalities. Um, and, and I don't think that that's a, a bad thing. Um, I think that that is, you know, being able to stand up for what you believe in as long as you've got, you, you're doing it in a, in a way that's, um, you know, in a, in a way that's not dangerous to anybody, but, but standing up for what you believe in, certainly standing up for those who can't speak for themselves, who are weaker, who have disabilities from people from different cultures or different, you know, ethnicities or different, being able to say, no, this is, this is acceptable and this is unacceptable. And that's, I think having that warrior mentality um, is, is a part of that as well. Um, and As opposed it, to many women who have more about worrying mentality, yes. worrying about everybody else. Oh, that's actually a really, oh, oh you know, Kim, that I'm right into genes at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I do. I love yeah. what you're about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm studying functional genomics and I'm by no means a specialist in this area, but there's a couple of genes. One is called the warrior gene, as in W-A-R-R-I-O-R, the warrior. And the other one is the, the wor- worry as in worrying too much, Gene. Um, and so we, we, we do have a predisposition, genetically speaking, for one way or the other. And there's, a, there's four genes, actually. Um, the, one of them is the ADRA2B gene, which is the adrenaline gene. And this can have a mutation where you, it, the, the adrenaline stays too long in your body. Um, or longer than another person, and that person's more likely to have more of the worry mentality. Um, there's a couple of other genes involved as well in that combination. Um, and so I, I find it absolutely fascinating from a mood and behaviour perspective to, to think that, yes, these, these neurochemicals that run around in our brain that make us, you know, a stimulus for pleasure or for pain or anxiety or fear are actually uh, partly controlled by our genes and that we can sometimes then look into that. How can we support that pathway? How can we make that a little bit better? How can we catch ourselves so that we're not doing those behaviours even though our genes may predispose us to that? Um, so that's a really fascinating area, completely off topic from where we've started already. But <laughs> oh, Do you know what, though? I think it's so relevant. And if we can understand why we have that worry we don't fall victim to it and we actually find a way of switching on the genes that support us to have maybe more of that warrior gene would that be a fair comment that's exactly so like we have one other gene which is the bdnf gene 
um, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And this is very, very important for brain health. So obviously with my, my story with mum rehabbing her, I'm very much into brain rehabilitation. Um, she had an aneurysm. But the BDNF gene is also very important for your mood. And if you have this gene, uh, the the, the the suboptimal version of the gene where you don't produce a lot of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, you can help support yourself with different nutrients. You can help yourself by having things like hot showers and saunas, which elevate your mood. Um, and, of course, exercise is another one of those great things. So going for a 30 to 45-minute cardiovascular exercise, like a jog or a bike ride, that gets your heart rate up at about 70% of the maximum heart rate, that will elevate your production of BDNF. So these are things that we can do to elevate our feelings and our emotions and control our emotions. You know, we're, we're, we're not just a victim, oh, well, this is my genes and that's the way I am. It's no, okay, we have this predisposition. We don't produce a heck of a lot of that one. We do produce a bit too much adrenaline. Uh, what can we do to counteract that and how can we help ourselves keep balance? And that's where the that's where the, the sciencey stuff, which is super interesting, actually meets the rubber meets the road, if you like, when we can actually take some practical tips and, and, and things that we can do to help ourselves feel better and more balanced. And you know, doing doing the basics right, I think Kim is is one way to keep our mental well-being on a stable level you know um doing our you know getting our you know eight hours of sleep a day is is a, is a crucial crucial thing our hydration levels our proper nutrition getting away from all the the bad stuff you know which we can all probably agree on sugar and trans fats at least you know if not the mm. rest um and doing these basics right that can really help um us stay balanced of course connection to nature is another very very important one there um and exercise so you know i think those all of those sort of things can help us control our mental well-being and and that's certainly the way i go through life now i'm trying to keep those aspects intact because i know that i'll be much better mentally uh, you know more stable from a mood perspective um and also from a functionality you know like how how productive am i you know mm -hmm. Um, so all of these areas we can influence when we have this knowledge and this sort of deeper understanding of who and what we are. Oh, I, I just love the way you summarize that. And I think it's really powerful for people to appreciate that even though the topic of self-love could be seen as woohoo, we yeah. also know that the topic of self-love is one of the most fundamental, core, uh, important aspects of optimal health. How would you say, or what would be your definition then of optimal health? Oh, geez. Uh, optimal health. I think it's when everything is, you know, I don't think there's a, there's a static um, place of optimal health because like at any one moment our genes are turning off and on uh, our you know our environment is impacting us what we eat is doing its thing so there's n we're not static beings and we're not going to be in a, in a perfect state of health um, you know in a static moment if you like but what I what I try to look at it when I'm teaching like epigenetics and things like this is going for the low-hanging fruit and trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be right now given your circumstances and that's always you know that is always a limiting factor if we you know if we had nothing better to do than to just look after ourselves 24 7 and and to do everything perfectly and we had all the resources that we needed and all the coaches and all the help then yeah we'll be able to achieve you know magnificent levels of health and and longevity um, but we have to work within the bounds of reality and the bounds of our world so I think striving for perfection is good but we will never attaining it and understanding that we won't get to, you know perfect but if we can do simple things well start developing the right rituals the right practices the right habits that will enable us to be healthy individuals in the long term I think we're on the right track so I don't think it's a static thing but I, I do think it is being constantly aware of yourself and what you you're feeling like like checking in with yourself like with our athletes we have a, a just a very simple checklist come that is uh, we call it the wellness checklist and every day they have to sort of uh 
give a rating of one to 10 across all the important areas like hydration, sleep, whether they've got injuries, what their stress levels are, um, if they've got good nutrition, that sort of thing. Um, and that gives people a snapshot of how are they today. And if their numbers are coming back, you know, lots of ones, twos, threes, and fours on the low end, then they know that, oh, I better, I better pull my socks off or, or up or I'm going to end up running into trouble a few days down the line. And we use this for athletes because if we've got a massive training session planned today, but last night you had five glasses of wine, you only slept for two hours, the kids were sick, and you've got a stressy day at work the day before, then that's not going to be a great time to do that session, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's checking in with yourself. It's learning to read your own body and your own mind and starting to trust your own intuition as well and then applying that on a day-to-day basis when you're doing you know, doing whatever you're you're actually getting involved in, whatever you're trying to achieve for that day, that you're just checking in. How am I feeling today? Am I ready to go gangbusters and give it a hundred percent, or do I need to take an hour out and have a you know hot shower and lie down for ten minutes? You know, mm. um, it, it's sort of learning to gauge that, and and that intuition, I think, you know, doesn't come so easily to us because we're we're a lot of us are programmed, we have to, you know, athletes especially, you've got this program and you stick to your program and that's what you've got to do come hell or high water. And I try to get my athletes away from that man- mentality. And, yes, the, the, the guide is there, the structure is there, this is what we want you to, to do this week, but then looking at, right, today wasn't the day and I'm not feeling up with it and my heart rate's up and I'm feeling crap and so I'm not going to do that big session, I'll push it out till tomorrow. And having the wisdom to do that and the, and the self-belief to do that because a lot of people just like to stick rigidly to a diet, to a, a, a nutrition plan and think that that will get them success without listening to their body. Does that make sense, I think? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I'd love to actually examine this side of it. I personally think that every single person is an athlete, no yes. matter whether we're a professional athlete or whether we have been something. Don't you think that the body should be treated like we are a professional athlete in the sense that we do need to gauge whether or not this checklist of yours I think applies to a busy mum, a corporate man, a, a stay-at-home mum, or a you know, or a parent of some sort, or anybody, a grandma, a granddad. How would you believe, or what do you think, if that's the case, and we could actually turn our mindset into thinking of ourselves as an athlete? So many people. I'd love your thoughts on this. So many people seem to differentiate or disassociate from their body. Why is that? I think because we're told this is the right way to do it and this is the right structure and and we've been trained over many, many years to ignore uh, the signals that our body's trying to give us. And and then it's also the education of being able to read those signals and that's, you know, it requires a little bit of, well, a lot of research if you really want to delve deep into it. But I'll give you an example like with my mum, you know, my story, Kim. Please Um, tell us that story. Yeah, I'll just give you a brief overview, everyone, so that you put you in the picture and then I'll come back to your, you know, your athlete uh, analogy. Mm. So my mum four years ago had a, a massive aneurysm, which is a bleed in the brain and subsequently a stroke as well. And she was left, they didn't think she'd survive. And then she, when she did survive, she, um, she was in and out of coma for, for three weeks, you know, absolutely critical. And during this time, she was losing parts of more and more of her brain. When she finally stabilised and she came out of it, she had hardly any higher function left to absolutely devastating brain injuries uh, right throughout the brain. She had no um, memory. She had no ability to control any functions in her body. So she couldn't, she could move her limbs, but not in any way coordinated. So if I said to her, lift your hand, she didn't know what her hand was or how to lift it, if that makes sense. Um, She had, um, she, she couldn't, basically she was like lights on, but nobody home, no software installed. And at the age of 74, and the doctors, you know, after a, a three months period in hospital on the rehabilitation said that, you know, like the brain damage is so massive, they will never be able to do anything. She's not going to have any quality of life again. Put her into a, you know, hospital level care facility and, she, you know, to see out her days in comfort and, you know, 
Kim, I don't do comfort <laughs> and I don't do, uh, it, there is no hope. I, I, I'm a very much a, a fight to, if someone's breathing, you're fighting, you, 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 you're giving it everything you have. And, and I just absolutely rejected this prognosis. And I thought somebody in the world has an answer for me and I'm going to find that person or that therapy or that doctor or whatever it is. And it turned out to be a hundred doctors and a hundred therapies that I could actually use that weren't presented to me by our local medical fraternity. And this is like cutting edge stuff. So I, I ended up doing um, something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy with her, which was a super powerful therapy. So if anyone's listening out there that has brain injuries, anyone who's got loved ones with, with concussions, strokes, multiple sclerosis, even cancer, even um, check out and learn about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. It's a totally underrated therapy that has a huge amount of clinical evidence behind it. I came across this and this was one of my first wins with her. Um, and I, I studied this for a few months before I got her out of the hospital. I took her home and I got access to a chamber and I put her through 33 sessions. Now this was not easy thing to get a hold of and this was not easy to put her into because she was in a completely fragile state but what hyperbaric does is it hyper oxygenates the body and it compresses the oxygen molecules so that you can t um, take up the um, up to 12 times the amount of oxygen into the plasma of the blood and it can pass through then the oxygen through the blood brain barrier and get to the cells that are damaged and they use this extensively um, for things like wound healing and burns and gangrene and diabetic wounds and things like this but in New Zealand it's not used for brain injury although there's there's over half a century worth of clinical evidence that this is absolutely beneficial for brain injury. Um, don't get me started on why that is. Um, something to do with drug companies and money. But anyway, so I thought this is a real care. So I had 33 treatments at this this place and then the, the chamber actually had to get taken off for a contract because this is what they use in the dive industry, right? And this was a, a diving outfit. Um, but my mum started to wake up after those 33 sessions and she didn't like, you know, get up and walk out of a chair or anything, but she was starting to try to talk. She was moving her arms more. There was a flicker of memory and intelligence behind her eyes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is working. And so then I uh, mortgaged the house. I bought a hyperbaric chamber. I installed it in her house and I put her through over the next three years, another 250 sessions. And she started to come back very slowly to me. And as she came back, I stayed one step ahead of her in the process of bringing, rehabilitating her. So I studied um, functional neurology. I studied uh, physio, of course. I studied uh, diet and changed her whole diet to more of a keto diet, which if you have a brain injury is a much better um, option, higher fats, the good ketones that you need for brain energy. Um, Functional genomics is what I'm studying currently, epigenetics, um, which we qualified in. And this, all of these things together made up this, this super program that I, this protocol that I put her through. In the first three years, it was seven days a week, uh, six to eight hours a day. So really super intense, Kim. It nearly blew me to pieces. Well, it did actually blow me to pieces, but I survived. And to cut a very, very long story short, um, and I've written a book about it called Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds, um, which has just been released just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this tells the story of what I did and the mindset that it took to overcome all of these, these huge, great hurdles. Uh, and it's a very powerful story because it's like the doctor said to me, this is a one in a million. He'd never seen someone come back from a brain injury this severe at that age, you know, when there's the neuroplasticity is slowed down when you're older. And I had to retrain her brain. But having the mentality of an athlete, so coming back to your question now, having the mentality of an athlete come, and you know this as an ultramarathon runner, you learn so much about what it takes to 
push up against the absolute limits of, of your physical exhaustion where you think you're exhausted, you know, and near exhausted. Uh, you learn so much about yourself. And so when it came to this situation with my mum, I could use all of those lessons that I'd learned as an athlete, the discipline, the training, the overcoming obstacles, the persistence, the, you know, the habits, the keeping going, the relentlessness, all of these aspects in the situation to help her come back and now my mum after four years is completely normal again Kim she's she's walking talking reading writing she's got a full driver's license she has a full quality of life back she um, has a power of attorney back over her life and control of her own you know uh, finances and things again which were all taken off her um, you know it's been the most amazing journey and the reason I say like athlete because what you said before that we should be all treated as athletes. I treat my mum and I train her every day, seven days a week still, unless I'm away on a speaking engagement or for work. I'm with her training her and I treat her like an athlete. I treat her as if she is training for the Olympics and I talk to her in that manner. And well, before the coronavirus, we were at the gym five days a week. She's surrounded by other athletes. She's not surrounded by just people with disabilities she's surrounded by people going places and when when you talk to someone as if they are an athlete and they this is our goal and this is where we're going they act like an athlete they have more self-discipline they have more motivation because they believe that they are moving forward and going somewhere and you know there's just so many lessons that i've learned and and that are all sort of chronicled in the book um that really show the power of, of being relentless, of going all in on something, despite all the naysayers, despite all the people telling you that it's absolutely impossible. I just ignored every one of those and just kept going in blind faith. Blind faith is sometimes what we all need. You know, and we, we're facing really uncertain times right now. We're all scared. We're all feeling a, a lot of anxiety for our, for our jobs, for our incomes, for our future. And these are all, you know, valid fears. But what we've got to remember is that we have the ability to control our thoughts. We don't control the outside environment. We cannot control the coronavirus or what's happening to us, but we can control how we react, what we do, from here forward, how adaptable we stay and how positive we, we, we remain. So even though we may have lost, and Kim, you and I have both had our, you know, businesses completely turned on their heads, haven't we? Absolutely. Um, yeah, totally, you know, as through thousands and thousands of other people right now. But instead of going, oh, you know, crawling up into a fetal ball on the ground and going, oh, my God, life's over, we're taking positive steps and we're trying to be adaptable and we're trying to stay ahead of the ball and we're trying to think two steps ahead. And that's what you can do when you have a control of your mind and you're not completely swayed by your emotions. When, when you're in a stable state emotionally, you are able to make good, clear decisions with the full capacity of your prefrontal cortex that part of the logical thinking of the brain. When you are either euphoric and super excited or you're super depressed and down and really um, agitated or angry or depressed, then you the, the blood is taken away from the prefrontal cortex and you can't make good decisions. And that's where we need to be stable right now. We need to be balanced so that we can make the best decisions possible going forward and that we can stay adaptable and quick moving. Does that make sense? Oh, Sorry, absolutely. No, no, I'm loving every, I'm holding on to every single word. <laughs> you know, the beautiful thing about yourself and probably myself, I guess what I want to go to now is that an athlete mentality is often, like I believe, one of the best mentalities to have, whether you you know, just walk daily or you're someone like yourself who has set records and been an extraordinary example of what the human body can do with your ultramarathon events. Mm -hmm. We also know, though, that, and you've mentioned and touched on it briefly, that we can go the other way where we don't listen and we go no pain, no gain, and we push yeah. and we push and we push, and it's almost... Um, where we can go into the extreme of that. What's yeah. your personal um, values and ideals around what I guess I would call restorative calm? 
how do we balance now that attitude and mindset with that calming mindset? And what things do you practice on a daily basis to go from push, 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 I'm going to get through this, I'm relentless, I'm at How do you be relentless in being calm as well? Yeah, this is a brilliant question and it's not it's something that I have struggled with Kim over the years because as you will know when you're you know coming up through the ranks as an ultra marathon runner and you, you know, and I grew up in a family too where mental toughness was and physical toughness was valued so from my father um, was very much pushed us to perform in sports so you know it was you know take a teaspoon of concrete and harden up type life right and and that had its huge benefits because it did teach you to push and go hard and you know push your boundaries and overcome and not give up when when you're in pain and suffering and and, and there are so many lessons to be learned in that process however and there is a caveat to this i have over the years done myself some serious damage to my body um by pushing myself way too far and and not understanding at that stage either the health implications of some of the things that I was doing as an ultra marathon runner um, and ended up with some pretty you know severe health consequences uh, later on from a lot of the stuff and then burnout is another big thing Um, and I really really struggle with this concept of self-love versus uh going beyond the self, transcending the self and being super tough and, 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 and yeah, relentless, you know, and, I, and, and it's still not a good, easy balancing game, Kim. I really do struggle with this. And this is why one of the, I think with your book is, is so fascinating because you also have this background as a hard-ass athlete and then you, you have this, this, this wonderful, oh, I, I want to say it's like mother to the nation, uh, attitude to to life in the world that is so so powerful and if we can learn to marry the two and I don't I think you you're doing it better than I am at the moment (laughs) um uh marrying these two sort of what you'd think is a dichotomy right on the one hand it's the nurturing caring loving of yourself and and others and on the other side it's being hard ass and being tough and pushing through boundaries um and and finding that balance in the middle to try to to make sure you're not pushing too far one way or the other i mean in my current life right now i am very aware and after going through this process of my mum with my mum and um pushing myself having to push myself to the absolute limit because I had two companies to run and, um, you know, was, was seven days a week with her all day. So I'd be working all night. So I was burning the candle at both ends um, while still trying to, you know, stay in peak physical condition as well. Uh, was a combination that led to some, you know, many, many trips to hospital, put it that way, and, and um, burnt myself out completely and, you know, completely stuffed up my hormones and all of that sort of stuff. So um, this is not an easy answer. There isn't a one way, I don't think. But And, and that was a situation where I did not really have the choice. But now that my mum is a little bit better and she's, you know, independent again and I'm still dedicated to her fully, uh, but I don't have to spend quite as many hours and I've learned not to... I've learned through my epigenetics training at what times of the day to be doing what. So whereas I used to spend, you know, up till, you know, one, two in the morning studying, working on the computer and stuff, I didn't realize the damage I was doing to my circadian rhythms, to my sleep, to my brain function, to my hormones. Uh, now I'm aware of all of that. So I, you know, set myself a pretty hard cutoff, you know, eight o'clock at night, no more computer, you know. Uh, and if I'm on there, it's only very briefly and I've got my blue blocking glasses to block the bad light. And I'm, I'm a much more aware of those sorts of things. And then during the day, I'm doing things like deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. I do that probably 10, 12 times a day, depending on how stressed out I am. As soon as I'm feeling triggered in any situation, my first go-to is diaphragmatic breathing. So doing a breathing ritual, so really deep breathing, usually in a box breathing format. So in for, um, in for seven, hold for seven, out for seven, hold for seven or something like that. Um, depending on how deep your lungs are. And that really calms and stimulates my parasympathetic nervous system and 
calms me down. And that is so, so crucial because I have a tendency from my epigenetic profile, knowing who I am and what genes I have and so on, to run on adrenaline. So I go, 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 go. And the more hyped up and exciting things are and more pressure I'm under, the better. However, I can feel myself when I'm starting to spiral out of control now, which I couldn't before. And I use that that breathing technique and meditation. And I do meditation sometimes in a still, you know, lying down or sitting and meditating in in different uh, fashions. Or sometimes a meditation for me is a walk in nature and looking at the birds very carefully and the, the flowers and just connecting to nature is also a meditation for me. So those are a couple of the things that I do to stimulate my parasympathetic nervous system and to bring myself back down because I had, I know from my epigenetic profile that I have a tendency to have a, uh, an overproduction of adrenaline and I tend, to, tend also to be chasing dopamine. Dopamine is your reward, uh, your pleasure reward um, neurotransmitter. So I'm constantly after hits of pleasure and that's usually in relation to my work. So when I achieve something, I'm getting a little shot of pleasure. And so I can become very addicted. So an addictive nature, if you like, um, to working hard, to running hard, to, you know, and I have, I know that about myself. So I try to keep myself in balance and am very aware of, of my neurotransmitters and what they're doing in my body and my hormones. <laughs> you know, you're an extraordinary soul. I, I absolutely adore you. And I see so much of myself in you, which is probably why we've become yeah. quite beautiful yeah. friends. And I think there's such a mutual respect around that. What does Lisa Tamati love about herself? Oh gosh, um, I love I love the big that I that I have these big visions of where I'm going. And sometimes people can't see, especially in my immediate family, what the hell is she doing now? <laughs> um, and these great ideas. And I'm, I'm constantly, my brain is always producing ideas and, and, and visions and, and goals that I'm, that I'm constantly chasing after. So I like that about myself. I like the fact that I, uh, I don't back down from massive great challenges and that I have the ability to push through and be really, um, you know, being able to keep going when the times are really, really tough. So I think those would be a couple of the things. Um, and I also really love about myself, and, and this is what we've got to get used to, everyone listening, is saying nice things about ourselves. And it, and it sounds like we're bragging, but we're not bragging. This is just like, this. we need to be aware of the strengths that we hold in ourselves. And one of my strengths has been able, is, is, is definitely empathy and compassion. And what I, you know, I want to help people um, be the best that they can be. And that's why I'm a coach. And that's why I do what I do. And that's why I'm sitting here talking to you because Huh, when you go through all these things in life and you like you've got all this well I'm quite old now and I've got a lot of experience <laughs> and I've got a lot of things that I want to be able to share and and in the hope that it's not just sharing for sharing's sake and blowing my own ego up but actually um empowering other people to realize that they have that within themselves, that they can do amazing things that they don't think they're uh, capable of. Um, And I love the fact that I can get next to someone and when I believe in them, I can see them grow and blossom and achieve things that they never thought possible. You know, like I'll give you a quick example. My mum, when we got to the point, um, I wanted to teach you to drive again. And at this stage, she couldn't even drive her wheelchair. Well, she was still fully wheelchair bound. She, you know, had no power of attorney. She had no rights over anything. And I told her, we're going to, you're going to drive again. And she'd only just started talking at that stage. And she was, she looked over at me and stuff. I was like, had two heads and thought, you're kidding me. I can't even go to the toilet by myself. Um, I can't drive my wheelchair by myself. And you're telling me I'm going to drive again. And I said, yes, you're going to drive again. And, when you believe in someone, even though you don't know the path forward necessarily, all the steps that, that are going to re- required, but you believe that they can do it and you get beside them and you empower them and you show them the next step 
you don't have to have 10 steps ahead, you just have to have the next step, uh, then you empower them to, to take that step and to, to believe that they can. And they put their belief almost in you that they can, because if you said they can, then they can. And that's a, that's a, that was a beautiful analogy. And like I said to my brothers at this time, you know, I'm going to teach mum to drive again. And they were like, you've got to be kidding. You know, this, she's never, ever going to drive again. That's an impossibility. And I said, you doubters, you watch, we'll do it. Come on, <laughs> mummy, let's go. <laughs> You're so adorable. I got her down to this car park, a closed car park in the, in the later part of the evening. And I, I, I got her out of the car and, and I pulled around on her walker and we walked her around. She could take a few steps at the stage, stuck her in the, in the other side of the car in the driver's seat and said, right, drive. And she was just like grinning from ear to ear, you know, like, <laughs> really, I'm going to drive? And, and she, she turned on the, the, the motor and I told her how to put it in gear and what to do with the steering wheel. And we went round, like my heart was in my mouth, Kim, but we went round and round this car park and she realised that she, and she didn't hit anything. And, and she realised that she could do this. And we were miles from ever being able to drive in traffic at that point. But I said, we're going to get your driver's licence, mum, aren't we? And she said, Yes, we're going to do it. And I saw her, the, the, the energy that that released in her, the fight to, I'm coming back. I, I am going to get my life back. And that was the reason I did that because I, I needed to motivate her. I needed to, her to find that power within, to pull out the, the, all the stops to come back and to really feel like there was a reason to come back, you know, and that she could have the life that she had before. And it took me a year we started off round and round in that car park and then we went on this little quiet road and then we went out onto bigger roads and out onto country roads and then we got to a point and about six months, eight months later, I can't remember exactly where I said, right, now we're going to the doctor for your medical and by this time she was walking and I remember going into her doctor's office and the doctor comes out and he's seen her in her worst state. He'd been there at the beginning and he comes out to get her out of the wheelchair, you know, thinking she's in a wheelchair and she stands up and walks into his office. And Dr. Kami was just, just dancing around her going, Oh my God, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. You know, and he's, he's in tears and he's like, how, how, how can you be walking? You, you, you know, it was massive brain damage. And mum said, yes, and I'm here to get my license. I need a miracle. And he was just like, Oh my God, she can speak. She can speak. Wow. Oh, how inspiring. It was amazing. And he he, he did all the tests with her and she came back at pre-aneurysm levels on all her tests. Her eyesight had come back. She'd lost her peripheral vision uh, and that had all come back. And he said, yep, you can go for your driver's license. Signed off and said, you have to go and do the test with the, with the, instru- you know, the testing place, but you are allowed to. You've got your medical back. So off we went then to get the driver's license. And you can imagine at the age now of 76, going for your driver's license. It's terrifying when you're 18, let alone when you're you know, 76 and you've had brain damage. And the first time we did it and she failed and I was devastated. To be fair, I was just like, oh, my God, I've set her up for failure, Kim. And I'm like, oh, my God. And she was like, no, that's fine, dear. We'll just keep practicing. We'll get an instructor and they'll teach me because I'd taught her half the road code wrong because it's a long time since my license. And we, we got a driving instructor and he, uh, she um, taught her for a couple of months and then we went back again. And mum was just like, no, we'll just do it again. So we went back again. The second time she got it and she got it. And then she I would have cried. <laughs> this is a real cry moment because it was the most beautiful moment. And I remember going back to my brother that day with my brother Dawson, who's been a wonderful support, but he did not believe that we could get a driver's license. And I and mum walks in with her little thing saying, Congratulations, you've got your driver's license. And he, she put it in front of him and he was just like I have to eat my hat. I, I never thought that you would ever get your driver's license again, Mum. think that's just absolutely amazing. And he said to her then, but I'm still not getting in the car with you. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And I, and I said, well, you see, when you believe in someone, though, you, that you empower them and, and, and you're not even getting in the 
the, the, the car with her now is not believing. You have to believe. So then he got in the car with her and now he'll drive with her. And Aww. she has her full, she has her car back. She drives all around the place and, you know, she's back fully into life. So that's it's so powerful. And even as a daughter to do that for her mum, as mothers and fathers to do that for their kids, yeah. it is a constant belief. And sometimes when we become tunneled or upset or vulnerable or hurt or going through a tough time, it's hard to see the light. So to have people that love us see the light, it's almost also getting permission from those people that if you can't see the light, um, then I'm going to show you the way. And I think being part of a family or love, if you like, from the other side of fear of not being able to do something is one of the most powerful healers of all time. I want to ask you, Lisa, you mentioned it very briefly at the beginning about walking past the mirror and not liking yourselves. Now, it's very interesting when I talk to women who have amazing bodies and are athletes, if you like, or run or go to the gym or do yoga and have beautiful bodies. Is it fair to say there's parts about yourself when you look in the mirror that you that you haven't liked or that you don't like? And can I give you full permission to be honest here? Because yeah. often women that are athletic or do have great bodies, if they talk about it, they then get body shamed into being ashamed of what their body is rather than people realizing that everybody has this. Could you explain that from your okay. point of view? I, I've had huge problems with this. You know, since I was a young girl, I was a gymnast. And when, when I was um, going through puberty, I shot up really tall and athletic and I got a little bit rounder as you do, you know, got hips and boobs as we do. And that was not allowed. That was absolutely, I was ridiculed every week and put on the scales in front of all the girls. And I was the biggest tall, you know, I was a big, tall, athletic girl. I wasn't a tiny gymnast. And and that absolutely destroyed me, Kim, as a 13, 14, 15-year-old, as you can imagine. Um, and that really set the stage for a battle with eating disorders in my early um, teenage years and really, really massive struggles. And I hated myself, absolutely hated my body. And I had a beautiful body if I look back at those photos now. And I'm so angry that I was put through that by those coaches. Um, And it's, it's not okay. It's, that was not okay. Um, and there's still a lot of that that hurt carried on through into my into my adult years. And you know, a lot of people, you know, say to me now, you know, oh, you're just naturally slender and and athletic. And it's like, hell no. There's <laughs> hell no. The amount of uh, work that goes into um, maintaining my body shape even now as it is now is huge, Kim. It's huge. And there is still a part of me that is that 12-year-old fat little girl, you know, or that was told she was fat, you know. Um, there is still a deep-seated part of me that struggles with that on a day-in, day-out basis. So don't you believe that when you look at someone that you think is athletic and slender and stuff, uh, that they're not having their own battles with themselves. And it, it, it is... It is the, one of the biggest battles I've had in my life is to be able to love my own body. I'm very um, muscular and, I'm, and I now embrace that muscularity that I did not before. I wanted to be what I wasn't. And again, coming back to the epigenetics that I've learned, I now know that I could have done whatever I wanted and I was never going to be that skinny waif model looking girl that I, that I so desperately wanted to be when I was young, because that was what society told me I had to be. Mm. Um, What would be your message? What would be your message standing here as a woman? um, I won't say your age, but you know, a a woman that's been through, what's that? (laughs) 51. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 51 years of age. What would be your message to your 15-year-old self or what would be your message as a 51-year-old woman to 14, 15, 16, up to 20-year-olds now? I, I, what, I, what I try to teach now even to women in their 30s and 40s, and this is not just young girls, of course they're extremely vulnerable when they're going through puberty and so on, but also women who are going through pregnancies and um, mm. changes in, in life and all of these things that changes our, our bodies, you know, our perce- Menopause. <laughs> Menopause. We're right in the middle of it. Oh, God. All right. What's your message to all of us? Give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Is that we have, we have a set of genes 
and that those set of genes need to be loved and respected. And you cannot be what, just because the magazine says that you should be this way and shaped like that, that we, we need to understand that that is bullshit. We need to be a healthy weight for our genetic type. And we need to be, in, in a, it's about being healthy. It's not just about being one aesthetic ideal. There is no right or wrong. There is only different body shapes and types. And if we understand the type that we have, then we're more likely to be able to accept and optimize, certainly optimize what we have and then love that to bits. You know, love that to bits because it, it is, um, you know, I, I could... With the, on the epigenetics wheel, there's like six different types of body types. And, you know, you've got your, your very muscular, athletic, shorter people. You've got your tall, leaner, um, triathlete type, runner type people. You've got um, the really strong, powerful people who are shorter in stature. Uh, you've got the tall, big, powerful ones, you know, and you, you've got the ones who carry more weight and they're meant to carry a bit more weight. They are the guardians. They are the, the ones um, that uh, their body is all about conservation. They put on muscle mass easy and they put on fat easy as well. And when we understand our epigenetic type, and this is, you know, something that we offer in our programs, um, then you can go, right, that's the shape that I am. And I need to now go towards being a healthy one of those and not a healthy one of another type because you're never, ever going to get there. You're never going to be. Like, you know, going back to mum again, she's what they call a guardian body type. She has a very she's a shorter stature, very heavy uh, muscles, very heavy bone structure. Uh, she is uh, a body that conserves very, so she will put on weight very, very quickly. Uh, she will retain muscle very well. So even though she was in a wheelchair for a year and a half, she didn't lose any muscle mass. Incredible. Um, which was uh, to her advantage. But she, by the same token, she has a tendency to put on fat as well. So she has a tendency towards cardiovascular disease and so on. So we optimize her diet, her, her, her exercise, um, for her body type and it's teaching her to love her body type because for her entire life she's been told she's overweight she's very stout you know she's very sturdy and um and and that that is not acceptable in our society right it's not the the the, the beauty ideal and so she struggled with this her whole life. And, you know, she shares this with me and, you know, we, we talk about this openly. And now I get to say to her, because I know her body type, that she is absolutely the most powerful, strong. So she has strong muscles. It's because of those muscles that she can still walk. If she was a, a sensor, one of the very tiny, skinny, t uh, very light boned people, she wouldn't have walked again, very likely because she wouldn't have had the muscle mass and the bone mass to, to actually sustain 18 months with no exercise. So, you know, there are advantages to each body type and there, there are things to treasure. She, she has a fantastic immune system. She has an ability and resilience in her body. And I, and I tell her all these things and we focus on those things, not the fact that she uh, carries a little bit more weight or that she has bigger boobs or whatever the, the case may be, mm -hmm. because that is where you get the self-acceptance from. It's understanding your body type and what you are meant to be and what is a healthy version of you. Not, as a, not, a, not, not what's a healthy version of the girl next door or the, the guy down the road. Does that make sense? Oh, I actually think there's a program just in understanding our body type, our genetics and our really? predispositions. There's yep. just, if we could teach that alone to all women, particularly women, yep. um, but of course men as well, if we could understand that, I think there'd be a whole lot more self-acceptance going on. You know, Lisa, I could talk to you for hours. What were you going to say? That was that is exactly what we have. We have this epigenetics program now that we can do that, and we uh, do. And it, well, can, where do we go to find out more if we wanted um, to to get this it's, from uh, you? It, it's on my website under the yep. programs tab. So if you just go to lisatarmati.com, this is really next level, and this is not a program I've put together. This is done by hundreds of scientists from fifteen different areas of science. It's really powerful because it does 
give you the information of exactly the foods to eat, the right exercise programs, the right times of the day, what parts of your brain are, are, are more dominant. It's really, really fascinating stuff, Kim. We'll have to uh, I actually, I'm, des- I'm desperately keen to have a look at that because oh, um, the, the, the self-loathing that women have, mm-hmm. particularly, again, women around their bodies, is sets them into such a spiral of self-loathing and then going into the fear or self-sabotage, not being good enough, and then sabotaging themselves further with the wrong foods or the wrong drinks or whatever. It is such a vicious cycle. And I think something like this would be such a great pattern interrupt. It is. It's, it's, it's so powerful just to have the information and then to, you know, to work with, with someone that you can actually work on different aspects of, of that transformation. It's, it's a, it's a lifelong program. It's not a, it's not a, Oh, you know, people come and say, Oh, is the keto diet good? Or is the paleo diet good? Well, they're all good diets for the right person and the right genetics, you know, mm. and that's what we need to understand first before you un- we go and dive into the latest, greatest phase of, you know, trend that's going because that might not be right for your body type and for your genetics. And therein lies the key, I think. And that's why oh, I'm so fascinated by this area. So powerful. So, so powerful. And I love your thirst for knowledge and your absolute desire to get the best information for us all to grasp this. Thank you so, so much. Sweetheart, who in your world, they can be living or dead, they can be around you or people you've never met, Who's someone or someone that ex- absolutely exudes beauty and someone that is what you would call a really beautiful person and why? Oh, <clears throat> again, I have to go back to my poor mother. She's <laughs> um, getting hammering today on, on, on this podcast, but she epitomizes to me the the nature, you know, the, the beautiful mother bear nature. You know, the one who sacrifices everything for everybody else, sometimes to the detriment of herself, um, who who gives freely without ever expecting anything. She's a, um, you know, the sacrifices that she's made for her family um, and and for me over the years and the pieces of the bone that she's picked up time and time again has just been absolutely amazing. Um, so she is my great role model. If I can be a tenth of the woman that my mother is, um, I'll be pretty damn happy. I think I would have achieved quite a lot in life, you know, and, I, and I'm a different personality type and I'm a, you know, I understand again that I'm a different being, but I, I, I love and honor and respect all of those aspects of her. And I, 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 I want to be like her, you know, I want when you, to when, like when you grow up. When I grow up, and I'm not growing up for a while yet. I know, I know. One last message. If you could say one last thing to these beautiful souls listening in right now on the power of self-love or any other final words that you'd love to give to these people listening right now. Oh, I want us to like understand that every one of you is an absolute miracle. Like it's one chance, and I think 48 trillion or some mathematician worked it out, that you would incarnate in this form and this with this set of genes in this lifetime right now. And to understand how special that makes you, you know, and not in, you know, special as in better than anyone else. We are all incredibly lucky to be on this planet at this time with the information and to use that to be powerful and to use that information to to live a life that is absolutely full and a life that has, you know, been lived to the max. You know, like I, I've made so many balls ups in my life, Kim. I've failed at things. I've, you know, I've stumbled. I've had dreadful relationships, I've done stupid ass things, I've, you know, but I don't regret any of it now because it's part of the tapestry that makes me who I am now and then moving forward, I can use that to help other people. And and, instead of going, oh, I wish I'd done this better and I shouldn't have done that and I, you know, like let's just move on from here being a empowered, powerful person going forward who takes the bull by the horns and says, I'm going to live the days that I've been gifted to the best of my ability. I'm going to leave this place a better place than how I found it. I'm going to give more than I take and I'm going to, I'm going to take some chances in life and I'm going to stumble, I'm going to fall, I'm going to have failures and that's okay. Not be afraid of failure. 
God, I love you. Can I just ask one last question? Your beautiful book, Relentless. Uh, can you tell us all the various forms it's available and where we yeah. can get a copy of it? it oh, by the way, I just want the listeners to know I had the absolute privilege of reading this uh, before it got published. I cannot begin to tell you how extraordinary the story is. You will cry when you read it. You will feel so freaking empowered when you read it that you'll want to get up and you'll want to save the planet like I did after. I created, by the way, I just you don't know this, but my self-love mastery mentorship program came yep into my heart and soul there was something percolating I knew there was something percolating but it became very apparent to me what I needed to create after reading your book so thank you you sweetheart well, so extraordinary soul tell us how we can all get a copy and in what forms oh that's thank you so much Kim and that's really gold I love it when you know uh, you know your, your book or your course or something did something for somebody and that affected somebody else all day eh? I love that. right that's um, so cool <laughs> It's really cool and it was so cool to have you read my book and review it for me as, a, as someone that I you know honor and respect it's really great to have your your review in, in my book and I'm really pleased for that um, now the book you can get on my website um, or if you just go to relentlessbook.lisatarmity.com you can get it in, in all its versions so I'll give Kim the the, the, the link there but relentlessbook dot lisatarmity.com and if you're just wanting to check out all my programs and stuff you can just go to lisatarmity.com um but that book is really yeah it's a perfect thing for this corona time you know (sighs) what we're going through right now so and so is yours actually i I know the two of them together are married so perfectly i love it lisa tarmity thank you so much for being a guest you know i adore you i look up to you i have such respect and resounding love for you thank you so much for being on the self-love podcast Thank you, Kim, for all you do in the world too. You're just an absolute gorgeous soul and you know, it really, really was a privilege. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.